Welcome to Lizzie Borden, you're a murderer, but God has not forgotten you. The reputation of Fall River has been besmirched. Dear Miss Borden, I have a warrant for your arrest for the murder of Andrew J. Borden. Do you wish me to read it? <music> Mr. Allen, I want you to go up on 2nd Street, the house next to Mrs. Buffington's, above Borden Street, and see what the matter is. I ran out of the station up 2nd Street, and just before I got to Mr. Borden's house, I met Mr. Sawyer. I told him I wanted him to go with me, and he went. When I got to the side door of Mr. Borden's house, I was met by Dr. Bowen. He said he wanted a police officer. Mr. Sawyer said I was one. He said, all right, I'm right in. Told Mr. Sawyer to guard the side door and not allow anyone to come in. Only police officers. I'm Officer John Fleet, Fall River Police Department. The date is August 4th, 1892. Went to the Borden House, 92 2nd Street, at about between 11.45 and 12 noon. Found Mr. Borden dead on the lounge, head badly cut, Dr. Dolan standing over him. Went upstairs, found Mrs. Borden dead on the floor between the bed and dressing case, head badly smashed, face downward. Saw Lizzie A. Borden in bedroom on the same floor, was sitting with Minister Buck on lounge. Asked her what she knew of these murders. She said that she knew nothing further than her father came in about 10.30 or 10.45 a.m. and that he seemed to be quite feeble. And she helped him and advised him to lay down on the lounge, which he did. Saw Lizzie two hours later, wanted to search her room. Dr. Bowen was in. She did not want to be bothered, would make her sick. Told her I must search on account of the murders, otherwise would not be doing my duty. She then allowed the search to go on, could not find anything in the room which would show blood, and found no instruments that had been used for murder. She said that it was impossible for anyone to get in or throw anything in her room because she always kept it locked. Lizzie said that she had not seen Mrs. Borden since about nine o'clock. She then saw her in the bedroom when she was coming downstairs. Lizzie, 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 do you have a moment? Can you have a statement for the paper, please? One to commit such a murder must have been without heart, without soul, a fiend incarnate, the very vilest of degraded and depraved humanity, or he must have been a maniac. Had a conversation with Bridget Sullivan. Said she saw Mr. Borden come in the house about 10.40 a.m. Did you see anyone that you think would or could have done the killing? We were talking. I said I would like to know where Mrs. Borden was. I said I would go over to Mrs. Whitehead's. She said she would like us to search for Mrs. Borden. She told us to go and search for her. I said I would go over there. If I knew where the house was, she said she was positive she heard her coming in. And would not we go upstairs and see? No. I said I would not go upstairs. And Miss Churchill said she was willing to go with me. So me and Miss Churchill went up the front stairs. There. We found Miss Borden. Oh, Miss Churchill, do come over. Someone has killed father. 
I did not see his face because he was all covered with blood. Eleven o'clock is the nearest I can fix the time. Returned from market. Saw Miss Lizzie at rear door. I thought she looked somewhat strange. Asked her what was the matter. She replied, Father has been killed. Please come over. I immediately complied. When I reached her, I said, Oh, Lizzie, Lizzie, where is your mother? She said, I don't know. The relations between Lizzie and the stepmother were not very friendly. So I hear, but have no personal knowledge of it. Yes, I have heard they do not at all times eat from the same table. Conversed with John V. Morris at the A.J. Borden house. Said that he was A.J. Borden's brother-in-law. His sister was Mr. Borden's first wife, had always been on friendly terms with the family, and had frequently made visits to his house. Where do you live when at home? Have you any idea who did this? Have you seen or have you heard Bridget or Lizzie say that they had seen anyone around who they suspected? Miss Lizzie Borden. She hallooed to me. Of course. I knew something was the matter. She hallooed so loud. I asked her what was the matter. She said, come down quick, that her father was dead. I came down and asked what was the matter, and was going into the sitting room. She told me to go quick for Dr. Bowen. Lizzie, 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 do you have a comic? Can you have a statement for the paper, please? I never, at any time, saw Lizzie put anything in, neither did I ever throw any milk away, whatever milk was left, and that wasn't much. I drank it, for I don't like tea. I know nothing about upstairs. I think the wood was chopped over the river. At one time, one of the farmhands chopped a few planks for kindling. I never had an occasion to use the hatchet but once, and that was to take the heels off of my shoes. Lizzie! Lizzie! Did you kill your father? Did you do it? Lizzie! Lizzie! Mr. Morris afterwards asked if I suspected that the murderer could have been concealed in the house last night. I replied that I did not. Then I said that he might have been in the house, but could not see how he could have been there without some of them seeing him. He said it is very strange that this should be done in the daytime and right in the heart of the city. It put him in mind of the Nathan murder, which was 20 or 25 years ago. In that case, they never found the murderer. No, ma'am. I cannot tell you ten cents of Perusagasi. I'm afraid you would need a doctor's approval. Statement of Lucy G. Collette, aged 18 years. John Normand, clerk for Dr. Shagnon, telephoned to our house, number 22 Borden Street, requesting me to attend Dr. Shagnon's house while he drove the doctor and his wife to the depot. This message was received by father, Dr. Collette. When he repeated it to me, I looked at the clock. It was 10.45 a.m. As I knew there was a train for Providence, where they were going, or rather Pawtucket through Providence, I hurried to get ready. While in the sitting room upstairs arranging my hat, I saw the doctor, his wife, and Mr. Normand drive by. I then went to Dr. Shagnon's, 
arriving there at 10.50 a.m. The door was locked, so I went into the yard to see if the hammock was there. It was not, so I walked around the yard a while, then sat down on the steps. While there, two men called. The first, about 10 minutes after I had arrived, which would be about 11 a.m. He waited about 10 minutes when he said, I must go. He gave me a bottle and asked me to give it to the clerk and tell him to refill it, and he would call for it this afternoon. When the second man was informed the doctor was not at home, he went away. Both men came up 3rd Street from Borden Street and returned the same way. About 11.45 a.m., Mr. Norman returned. We both entered the house, talked a short while, and after having a drink of lemonade, I returned home, arriving just as the clock was striking 12. It was by this I fixed the time of Mr. Norman's return. While there at Dr. Shagnon's, no one came through the yard, nor could such be done without my knowing it. I heard no noise or cry. I first heard of the murder when I arrived home. It is almost impossible for a person to commit these crimes without being almost covered with blood, from the waist upward in the case of Mr. Borden, and from the feet upward in the case of Mrs. Borden. They can't find blood on her dress, on her hair, on her shoes. They can't find any motive. They can't find the axes, and so I say, I demand the woman's release. There she is. What a monster! They said that she killed both of her parents. Can you believe that? I hope they... Dr. Bowen took me into the sitting room where Mr. Borden lay. He was on the lounge with his face turned upwards. Several cuts, long and deep, on the left side of the face. Doctor said, you go down and tell the marshal all about it. I ran down to the station as fast as I could go and told the marshal that Mr. Borden had been cut in the face with something like a razor. He said, is it dead? dead, 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 dead. I told him he was. He gave me orders to go and find Officer Mullally, which I did in a few minutes and brought him to the station. The marshal gave him orders to go right up to Mr. Borden's house. He was there by 25 minutes past 11 o'clock a.m. Just before we got there, Officer Doherty was ahead of us. When we went upstairs, the doctor said Mrs. Borden had fainted with fright. Officers Mullally and Doherty turned her over. Officer Doherty said, My God, God, her face face, face, is only smashed in. I went back to the station and reported to the marshal, and he went out and went up that way. Seal skin capes do not require cleaning by poison. They are naturally repellent to insects. I was feeling well enough to eat the pears. I wish I had not to do this. I do not like to tell anything of my neighbor. But this is as it is. When I went over in answer to Lizzie's call, I asked, Oh, Lizzie, where is your father? In the sitting room. Where were you? I was in the barn looking for a piece of iron. Where is your mother? She had a note to go and see someone who is sick. I don't know, but they killed her too. Has any man been to see your father this morning? Not that I know of. Dr. Bowen is not home, and I must have a doctor. I think I heard Mrs. Borden come in. I don't know whether Mrs. Borden is in or out. I wish you would see if she is in her room. 
Will I go and get one or find someone who will? Yes, I did so. And when I returned, the first thing I recollect, she, Lizzie, said is, Oh, I shall have to go to the cemetery myself. When it is time, I want Winwood for an undertaker. No, the undertaker will do that, was my reply. Then Dr. Bowen, George Allen, and Charles Sawyer came in. When Dr. Bowen had seen Mr. Borden, he asked me to come into the sitting room and see him, but I declined and said I would not. I saw him this morning, and he looked so nice. I do not care about seeing him now. The doctor went out. Lizzie said, I think father must have an enemy, for we were all sick. When the doctor returned, he asked for a sheet. Bridget Sullivan, the work girl, was afraid to go upstairs alone, so I went with her. Lizzie said we would find the sheets in the dressing room, which is off of Mrs. Borden's room. I think we waited for a key to Mrs. Borden's room, and I think Dr. Bowen went into the sitting room to get it. If I'm not mistaken, he first brought out a bunch, but the one wanted was not among them, so he went in again and returned with a single key. We then went upstairs, and Bridget asked me if two would be enough. I said, I think so. One will cover a person. But we brought down two and gave them to Dr. Bowen. He covered Mr. Borden and then went out. Lizzie requested the doctor to send a telegram to her sister Emma, but not to tell her the facts, for the lady whom she is staying with is old and feeble and might be disturbed. Lizzie! Did you kill your father? Did you do it, Lizzie? I'm Officer Phil Harrington, Fall River Police Department, Thursday, August 4th. Have you any reason, no matter how slight, to suspect anybody? No, I have not. Why hesitate? Well, a few weeks ago, Father had angry words with a man about something. What was it? I did not know at the time, but they were both very angry at the time, and the stranger went away. Did you see him at all? No, sir. They were in another room, but from the tone of their voices, I knew things were not pleasant between them. Did your father say anything about him or his visit? No, sir. About two weeks ago, he called again. They had a very animated conversation, during which they got very angry again. I heard father say, No, sir, I will not let my store for any such business. Just before they separated, I heard father say, Well, when you're in town again, come up and I will let you know about it. During this conversation with Lizzie, I cautioned her about what she might say at the present time. I said, owing to the atrociousness of the crime, perhaps you are not in a mental condition to give as clear a statement of the facts as you will be tomorrow. And also by that time, you might be able to tell more about the man who wished to hire the star. You may recollect of having heard his name, or of seeing him, and thereby enabled to give a description of him, or may recollect of something said about him by your father. So I say it may be better for you not to submit to an interview until tomorrow, 
when you may be better able to recite what you knew of the circumstances. To this, she replied, No, I think I can tell you all I know now, just as well as at any other time. This conversation took place in Lizzie's room, on the second floor, in the presence of Miss Alice Russell, who sat in a chair by the door, which leads to the front hall, by which I entered Lizzie's room. Miss Russell was very pale, and much agitated, which she showed by short, sharp breathing and wringing her hands. She spoke not a word. Lizzie stood by the foot of the bed, and talked in the most calm and collected manner. Her whole bearing was most remarkable under the circumstances. There was not the least indication of agitation, no sign of sorrow or grief, no lamentation of the heart, no comment on the horror of the crime, and no expression of a wish that the criminal be caught. I then went to the Borden barn, where the marshal gave orders to several officers to search the barn thoroughly, and took part in the work downstairs. When at the foot of William Street I saw two suspicious characters and brought them to the station. Later, when the marshal had a talk with them, he ordered them locked up. Officer Leonard and I had a call to the N.B. Savings Bank. There we found a Portuguese who was drawing out his full deposit of sixty-odd dollars. He could speak English but poorly, so we brought him to the station. Officer Leonard went for an interpreter, and the suspect giving a satisfactory account of himself, he was allowed to go. I then went to the Borden barn, where the marshal gave orders to several officers to search the barn thoroughly, and took part in the work downstairs. It was at this time I made known my suspicions of Miss Lizzie. To the marshal I said, I don't like that girl. He said, What is that? I repeated, and further said, Under the circumstances, she does not act in a manner to suit me. It is strange, to say the least. All this, and something that to me is indescribable, gave birth to a thought that was most revolting. I thought, at least, she knew more than she wished to tell. I arrived at the house about 12.15 or 12.20. The conversation with Lizzie was about five minutes later. She was dressed in a striped house wrapper, full waist, and caught on the side by a bright red ribbon which was tied in a bow in front. The stripes were on the pink shade, and between them was a dark figure. Before leaving her, I went down in the kitchen where was Dr. Bowen, Assistant Fleet, Dr. Dolan, Bridget, and several others. Dr. Bowen had scraps of paper in his hand on which there was some writing. He and I spoke about them, and he tried to put some of them together. He said, "'It is nothing. It is something about, I think, my daughter going through somewhere.' "'If I recollect correctly, it was addressed to Emma, but about that I am not sure.' "'The doctor then said, "'It does not amount to anything,' and taking the lid off the kitchen stove, he dropped the pieces in. "'There's very little fire in the stove, and the ashes which were on top looked as though paper had been burned there.' About this time, someone said something about milk. I looked in the direction from which the voice came and saw Dr. Dolan standing at the table. He called me and said, Phil, I want you to take care of this milk. The family has been sick, and I don't want you to leave it until I relieve you. 
In a few minutes, Mr. Fleet gave orders to several of the officers to cover the several roads leading out of town. Divine and Garvey he sent to Stafford Road, and I was ordered to cover Bay Street. I told him about Dr. Dolan's orders to me in regard to the milk. He replied, Yes, I heard him when he spoke to you, but I will take care of the milk, and you go down the lower road. I spoke to him about the Ferry Street Depot, and he said, That is covered. If your seal skin cape is infested with vermin, then you should return it to your furrier. Good day, miss. I do not like to answer that question on account of my position as custodian of property, as I do not know what my relations may be with the family when this thing is settled. Lizzie, over here! Over here! That story is not true. Dr. Coughlin and Dr. Dolan. Dr. Coughlin washed first. I did not empty the basin, and I do not know who did. I do not know how Dr. Dolan forgot that. I remembered it well, for I gave him a towel. This was in the kitchen. Save us from blasting a life, innocent and blameless. Keep us from taking the sweetness from a future of our ill-advised words, and let us be charitable as we remember the poor, grief-stricken family and minister unto them. This is Officer Patrick Doherty, Fall River PD, August 4th, 1892, 11.35 a.m. At this hour, I, with Frank Wixon, entered the Barden House, 92 Second Street. Bowen met me at the kitchen door and said, I am glad to see you. I inquired, what is the trouble? He said, Mr. Barden is dead. I went into the next room and there found the remains on a sofa covered with a sheet. In low tones, the doctor told me he was satisfied there was something wrong, for they were all sick the day before. He followed this by saying, to make matters worse, Mrs. Mrs. I suppose she saw the killing of her husband and run upstairs and died with fright. I requested to see her, and on going upstairs found her lying on the floor, face downward, between the bed and dressing case. Several spots of blood was on the bed, and also a large tuft of hair. On examining the body, I found she was lying in a pool of blood. I informed the doctor of the fact, and he expressed much surprise. I requested the doctor, Mr. Wixon, and reporter to remain by the bodies until I notified the marshal. The doctor stated the deed was committed by an axe, cleaver, or some such instrument. The servant girl said she let Mr. Barden in the front door at 10.50. With another officer, I made a hurried search of the house from attic to cellar, but found no trace of any strange person or weapon. Lizzie said she was in the barn, and said, No, I did not hear any noise whatever. The work girl said she was upstairs, and heard no noise until Miss Lizzie called her. Miss Lizzie had no suspicions on the farmhands. When I returned from Miss Russell's, I asked Lizzie if I would go to Miss Whitehead's to see if Miss Borden was there. It was then Lizzie said, No, I think I heard her come in. She asked was I going out that afternoon. I told her I did not know. I might, and I might not. I was not feeling very well. She said Miss Borden was going out. 
or gone out. I could not catch the two words, she said. Somebody was sick. I asked her who was sick. She said she did not know. But she had a note that morning. If you go out, be sure and lock the door, because I may be out. She came out, and she told me there was a sale in sergeants that afternoon of dress goods for eight cents a yard. I told her I would have one. Some soup to warm over. And some cold mutton. I know you did it, Lizzie! You're the murderer! You've been listening to the Lizzie Borden Trial. Transcriptions of the trial testimony provided with permission by Stephanie Corey and LizzieAndrewBorden.com. Produced by Kate Lavender. Consider supporting the show with a small monthly donation so Lizzie Borden Audio can continue to bring you never-heard-before testimonies without ads. Thank you. <laughs>